This is the Hustler Sports 30 podcast with Justin Hershey, Sam Curtis, and Andrew Wilf. This week, the hosts wrap up Vanderbilt men's basketball season and preview Vanderbilt women's basketball's WNIT action on Thursday. We are back here on the Hustler Sports 30 podcast, back inside Rand Hall in Surratt Student Center, as always, with Justin Hershey, Sam Curtis, and Andrew Wilf. And we're filming this on a Wednesday, Wednesday after a heartbreaking loss for the men's basketball team to Xavier. Their season has now come to an end. It wasn't the only L that Vanderbilt took yesterday, as, as many of us have seen on Twitter and elsewhere. The reactions to the new logos and marks haven't been fantastic. We don't want to touch on that too much. I, I want to give Andrew a, a second because he's pretty passionate about this. So I will kick it to him and let him introduce kind of his thoughts. But we're not going to spend too much time on this because we do have a lot of basketball to talk about. But Andrew, what do you got? Definitely. I mean, a, a few months ago, Van United comes out and we, we see everyone's talking about how it's going to be a, a new a new culture. And then I'm in my class on a Tuesday morning <laughs> and I get an email an email that's not even exciting. It's just like, I forgot the title from Chancellor. It said something. Visual identity. Visual identity. And at first, I thought it was spam, so I deleted it. Until <laughs> I, I saw on a group chat, visual identity with the V. And I was like, oh, is this is this Villanova? I thought it was Villanova, and I thought it was Virginia. But I think it's unique. I think all students in any world is go are, are going to react when they see change with a sense of skepticism. But... What bothers me is Vanderbilt before had two different logos, uh, kind of an academic logo that, that kind of showed the trees of campus and then the star. I just feel that it's kind of lacking the sophisticated element with this new V, and it just looks like it was just made on uh, Word or, or PowerPoint, and it could have been made within two minutes. And that's why I'm just overall pretty pretty disappointed in this new era. I think it's difficult to be overly positive about a huge change like this. We all signed on as students to a university with certain images, with certain customs, things like that. And this was one of them. The star V was one of them. The V with the oak leaf was one of them. And so we're used to that. We're comfortable with it. I'm all for marketing, branding. I'm all for change. I'm all for, you know, um, improving execution, for uniting athletics and academics and, you know, uniting the whole university. But this just screams the only thing that we could merge the star V and the acorn uh, V. The only thing in common between university and athletics is that our school starts with the letter V. I, I don't know what else to pull from that. I think, you know, they the star V will be around. I don't think the oak, uh, oak leaf V will be around very much, but it's disappointing. It's, it's going to take a little while to, for fans to get over that, and we get that. I don't know. It's challenging. It's a head-scratcher to get rid of something like the Star V that's such a symbol. But we're moving on. That's it, period. Uh, we won't talk about it anymore. But we will have some more reaction pieces on our website, so check those out if you're interested. The reactions have all been, um, you know, rather uh, 
rather uh, homogeneous. But we'll move on to this basketball game because Vanderbilt's season did come to an end uh, yesterday. We will want to hit on the women's as well later in the show. But, guys, Vanderbilt goes up to Xavier. First uh, road game in a couple weeks now uh, after playing the two home games against Belmont and Dayton in round one and two of the NIT. And they dropped this one 75 to 73. To me, it really looked like they ran out of gas. I think Xavier's a really solid team. Obviously not playing with Paul Scruggs, one of their leaders, one of their best players. But it's a solid team with a lot of length, a lot of size. And Vanderbilt was coming off of a an overtime barn burner on Sunday in which Scottie Pippen Jr. and Rodney Chapman both played over 40 minutes. Certainly an emotional and physical to- um, toll from that game. And I think it showed in the last couple of minutes of this one. Yeah, well, like you said, I mean, Vanderbilt does not lose many games where they double the other team's offensive rebounds. And they, they did. They beat them 10-5 to 5 in this one. But, you know, guys like Miles Studi, who had the best plus-minus, Andrew was saying, telling me earlier, you know, how, how much of a problem it was that he wasn't on the floor for the last couple minutes and, and, and kind of a head-scratching head decision maybe that was. Um, obviously, Scotty uh, got his... Um, impressive you know performance to end out on and it definitely puts the season in perspective it's a disappointing end for sure um was a tough situation coming off you know just two days break uh and like you said emotional uh with all the fans in there like i, I think everyone kind of like felt it was just they just had their soul taken out of them and then put back in and so it's tough to then motivate yourself to go to a team that you beat in preseason and feel like you should win and then also, you know, like you said, be missing one of their best players and go into their gym and, and put up a good performance. It's tough. So I, I can't say that it was completely out of the blue, unexpected, but it definitely hurts not to be headed to New York. Right. And definitely, I think something we've been talking about for a few weeks now is what makes different, what makes Vanderbilt different, this new Vanderbilt team different than what they were in November and December is they're really capitalizing on opportunities that they should be making for example let's just think with 14 15 seconds left in the game jordan wright gets the foul line and he has a one and one down two points and you miss the first shot with the season on the line i mean all all vanderbilt nation was was pretty disappointed about that but the game's not even over 13 seconds later when there's a violation and then xavier inbounds the ball and vanderbilt gets the ball back with a second left and then Coach Stackhouse calls a play, which I wasn't the biggest fan of, but I, it's really hard to, to call a good play. They were on the sideline with really a minute Really left, deep in the corner. Yeah. Really deep in the corner, and they gave it to Scotty, and he just chucked up a three. But there, there were so many issues to me with Jordan missing that one-for-one one because it wasn't necessarily that he missed the shot. It was just I think me, me and all my friends that were watching, it all felt like he wasn't going to make it, and, and I, I don't know what it was, but... It's like Vanderbilt needed this type of experience for maybe like next year they will be making those shots. It still seemed like the moment was too big. You're up 10 with 10 minutes left to go, and the game was just never over, and Xavier just looked more experienced at the end. Vanderbilt had zero field goals in the last three minutes, 10 seconds. I think they only had one or two field goals in the last six minutes. It's going to be tough to win postseason basketball games like that. I get that they ran out of gas, and I think that's very validated. You got zero from Rodney Chapman, who really didn't look like himself. He's gutted through a hamstring injury to even play some of these games, so got to tip your hat and respect that. But, yeah, I mean, Andrew, I'm, Jordan Wright had two free throws to tie the game, and they didn't go down. And that's been the story of a lot of games the last three years for Vanderbilt, 
whether it's Scottie Pippen Jr. going to the line, Jordan Wright missing that uh, layup against Alabama earlier in the year at home. Just a couple of bounces go Vanderbilt's way, and this season looks a lot different. We'll talk about that, but I think you make a good point. Studi off the floor for... Um, he subbed out at three minutes and came back in only with like less than 30 seconds to go, kind of an offensive-defensive uh, switch. But he was hot in the second half, and he was huge. I, Vanderbilt had one, two, three, four, five guys with at least four made field goals. That's really impressive, and I'm not sure that's something that's happened very much this season for Vanderbilt. Tyron Lawrence, I thought, was excellent as well. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Tyron Lawrence, by the way, has really been coming on at the end of the season. I'll yeah. be excited to how he transitions into he, becoming an upperclassman. He lost a lot of playing time like mid-year there. Yeah, now, now he did. When, when Chapman flirted with uh, coming back and he was in and out, uh, Tyron kind of got put to the end of the bench. But he obviously lost his first year with an ACL. So I thought this was at, definitely at times a really strong bounce back year for him and excited to where he should go. But uh, touching on Studi again, I mean, he did have half the threes that Vanderbilt made. I mean, Vanderbilt was not very efficient from beyond the arc. Eight for 24 is not overly impressive. And Studi was four for seven. And that kind of shooting power is definitely helpful when you've made two free throws in the last six minutes, and especially helpful when you're trying to play catch up at the end of the game. So an interesting call. I, I get, you know, wanting to have the lineup he did out there, but um, and obviously tensions are getting heated. And Studi is definitely known for getting caught up in that, but I do think you have to have at a certain point the hot hand, and it, it seemed like that it was Studi at that time. Yeah, and going back to to Chapman, definitely disappointing, only zero points. But let's talk about the other guard, guard Tyron Lawrence. Really played well in the first half too. I think he had a block to end the half, and then Vanderbilt was up too. A lot of momentum there. Only three first-half three-pointers, which is really disappointing. And Studi really came into his own. I think he made three for four out of the second half. Maybe he made three consecutive. It, it felt like he just kept making threes. I just wonder what was happening. Do you, uh, uh, do you guys think Coach Stackhouse took him out or Studi said, I need a, br a breather, and then um, Lawrence ended up getting hot and they never took him out? It just There was no logic behind Studi nopping on the court with three minutes left to go with the season on the line. You're be the best three-point shooter in the SEC in the regular season isn't on the court when you need to win the game. It just does not make sense to me. Yeah, I think it's mostly an offense-defense thing. I think, first of all, we've talked about it before, but I don't think Jerry Stackhouse is... Um, I don't think substitution patterns are his strong suit, I guess is what I'd say. I think that's something that really he should take a hard look at this summer, and I think it will help him to have a more rounded-out roster with guys not checking in and out, checking in and out with injuries all the time and hopefully Vanderbilt gets that next year. Um, so I think sometimes guys get stuck in the line, get stuck on the floor, and Stack kind of just rides with them for a while. I really think Lawrence was great, and I think it was hard for Stack to justify taking Lawrence and or Chapman off the floor, considering what they bring on defense, considering what Chapman brings in terms of poise and veteran leadership. I do agree with you. I think Studi's such a weapon, and when you have Lawrence in there... Guy, Xavier can pack the paint a little bit more, not worry about him shooting some of those threes that Studi can stretch the floor with. And then you clog up some Pippen Jr.'s driving lanes. There was even one time when Liam Robbins got ha caught the ball at the top of the key and just got double hard doubled off of kind of a, uh, a designed kind of mm -hmm. screen play, and he got hard doubled and it was a turnover because Xavier had possession. It was a jump ball. So I can see it both ways with Studi, but I do see the merits of having him on the floor in that moment. And, and w sorry, I think what, what's tough with like losing a two point game 
there's always like you, if as a fan you're always thinking oh if this happened if that happened i think that's a great example with robbins having that turnover and yeah. the jump ball if that's an nba game uh they get, end up getting the jump and maybe robbins gets the ball that that's maybe a four or five point swing and that's really an important play pivotal play in the game to consider um when you really analyze this two-point loss I was just going to say, basically, I mean, you know, something similar in terms of hindsight is twenty twenty, and, yeah. and I was watching the stack presser after Dayton when he said, I thought about taking the timeouts uh, right before Chapman missed both of his free throws to really, like, finish the game, um, but I didn't want to ice him either, and I, and I was just thinking, you know what, that's like, that's a good, that's a very fair point, and obviously he has the benefit in that game of being able to say it and everyone says oh well you know we won, won anyway but but if they'd lost obviously you say then why didn't he take a timeout and if he does take that timeout then and, he, and Chapman still misses it then you say he iced him and it, these decisions are tough and it certainly is you know if you win everyone's going to be saying how good of a job you did or at least ignore the bad parts a lot of them um but you you do see it obviously when you lose so i'd I, you know, I guess I'll come to the defense a little bit, but at the same time, like you mentioned, it's always been, it's always been a problem. And I know that there's been injuries, but you really, you know, in any sport and basketball, especially when there's only five guys on the court, the chemistry, knowing how each other play it, are playing and having a more set rotation is really important, especially when you get down to the end of the season and all these teams know each other and are playing together. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think we hit on it. Uh, I don't know that Vanderbilt was, you know, they're up 10 with 10 minutes to go, and then just the wheels kind of came off and, and people got tired. I really do believe that. It's been a grind of a year. This team's banged up. A lot of these guys also have never played 36 games before in a season. Like last year, I don't even remember, they played they played 25 last year, and then they played 32 the year before that. So this is a big haul of games for these kids. They've been playing since November 10th. So long season. We're glad that it lasted long so we could talk about it. Let's wrap it up here in terms of some of our thoughts and our overarching thoughts. Guys, they beat Texas A&M on February 19th to go to 14-12. and 12. They then lost three consecutive games by fewer than five points and then ripped off five wins in their last seven games to finish 19 and 17 their first winning record since 2017. They very they were competitive in every game from February 19th on and almost won every game including at including Kentucky in the SEC tournament, including at Mississippi State. They almost beat Florida at home. They almost beat Alabama at home and then obviously last night a two-point loss. Down the stretch this team was playing their best basketball and that's been a hallmark of the Stackhouse era. Stackhouse's teams have always improved as the year went on. But this team hit its stride a little earlier. It stole some games a little earlier, stealing a game at Arkansas in early January, the only team to win at Arkansas this year. There's a lot to be positive about from this year. And I think last year and the year before that, you ended these seasons and you were like, positive momentum. His first year, they won their final two conference games. Last year, they won an SEC tournament game for the first time in quite a few years. This year, I think you actually have reason to have expectations next year. You have a winning record an NIT quarterfinal to pitch to recruits, to pitch to transfers, to pitch to even guys on your roster who are debating transferring. That's all. Those are all things that Jerry Stackhouse has not had the last couple of years. Yeah. I think like you said, you have to have a positive <clears throat> outlook going into next season. 
I think there is a ton of bad karma built up in that Memorial Gymnasium <laughs> over the year, over these past couple years from tough roles that we always seem to be coming back to and injuries. And I'm so ready for it to turn. And I mean, I sure hope the NIT at home and Memorial with the gym rocking with students back there and finally a healthy team and some big shots being made and some defensive plays feels like hopefully that's a turning point and maybe that bad karma will start to be uh, equalized a little bit by some good karma. And I think it feels like still on campus like they ended on a positive note because I think when you have that overtime win, that was such a moral victory. Um that and at home that when they went away to Xavier and yeah, it was a close loss, but everyone was talking about the Dayton game and no one, you know, it's not as, not as focused on the Xavier loss. So I, I think it's still a positive ending note. And I think there's a lot of guys coming back and a lot of guys to carry that into next year. So like you said, I think it's just, it's important to, to keep in mind the season as a whole and know what, I mean, what could have been if there was no injuries and hope, and, and pray that, that we're not talking about the same thing next year and that we see a little memorial magic. Yeah, and I do not know what pill this team took on that flight to Tampa. But since <laughs> then, it's been a completely different team. And we think about teams getting hot in basketball and really all sports. Ideally, it's, especially now, it's, it's March. And I, I, I've been thinking and pondering a lot if, you know, you win those, those late games – barn burner games in February and January, like like that Alabama game, maybe like that Tennessee game in Knoxville, maybe like that game at home. You win those three games, maybe four games. Maybe Vanderbilt would be in March Madness right now. And I think that's a really promising thought. After the season is the season's over, but to see the way Vanderbilt played in the SEC tournament and NIT tournament, it's a really good building building block and kinda like what Justin said, really good for potential recruits. Um Really an exciting season, but also nostalgic just to, to see how, how much the team improved and to see how the school really came together for, I'd say, the first time since COVID, really, with that over that overtime win against Dayton was, I would say, the, the best Vanderbilt sporting event since COVID. And who knows, if, if Vanderbilt were maybe to have lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament, you don't get an opportunity like this. And it showed a lot for the Vanderbilt community and... You know, it's going to be really sad moving forward next year to see an offense without Scottie Pippen Jr. as expected. But I think there's going to be a lot of great opportunities with a new roster. And I think with Stackhouse's offense and an invigorated student body, it's going to be a really good season next year because of this, you know, the trials and tribulations that happened early in the season this year. I told Bryce Smith on this show last semester that my – Kind of floor for this team in the SEC was six and twelve. Um, they went seven and eleven. I also told him in a mailbag that Vanderbilt needed to make the postseason in one form or another because if they didn't, the end result was just the same as the last two years. And I didn't think that that was enough progress quickly enough. They did those things and they finished with a w- winning record to boot. So I think there is a lot of positives to take away from this. It's difficult to be overly negative when you're moving in the right direction, even the last two years when. Vanderbilt was not up to standards whatsoever. You still saw glimpses. You saw little things. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Scottie Pippen Jr. a little bit. And I'm going to be writing more about him in my my final column this week. But he's been excellent down the stretch. He has 
completely bridge the gap between some of the worst basketball that this school has ever seen and possibly making this team relevant again. Um, and I think Jerry Stackhouse owes him a lot for that, uh, but this university owes him a lot for that because he didn't sign on to play for Jerry Stackhouse. He signed on to play for Bryce Drew. He remained committed. He worked at his game. He watched one of his best friends, Tillon DeSue, transfer out to Texas, and he came back. Um, and he came. He said before the season, he came back to win, and they won more games than they lost. Uh, and that's a really big deal for this program, considering they haven't done that since 2017. I think roster-wise, I don't expect Scottie Pippen back. I don't see him playing another year of college basketball. I think, obviously, that one thing hanging over his head is never playing in March Madness, never playing in an NCAA tournament. He's 434 points away from breaking Shane Foster's all-time scoring record here. He had 736 points this year, so obviously that's in reach if he wanted it. So there, there are some personal accolades, and Jerry Stackhouse said yesterday that he thinks if Scotty comes back, he could be the most decorated player in Vanderbilt history. And based on personal individual accolades, he's not wrong uh, to come back and po- potentially be a third, te- third straight All-SEC first-teamer to possibly win player of the year. There's a lot that he could potentially achieve. I don't know that he'll elect to do so, but elsewhere around the roster, I think you got to look at Jordan Wright, Liam Robbins, QMB, and Miles Studi as guys that you've got to have back. Um, All four do a lot of really good things. All four are going to be the core of next year's team in addition to, I fully expect, um, Stack to pick up a few guard transfers. I think if Scotty does move on, and hopefully that's a decision that's made quicker rather than later because recruiting season is already here for these transfers, then you can really pitch a phenomenal opportunity to come here and get a ton of usage uh, in a in a role, in a point guard role like Scottie Pippen has the last couple of years. Yeah, well, it, it would it would certainly be tough to, I mean, we've kind of known the whole year thought that he would be moving on, but yeah. it's really, really tempting to see him stay, break all these records, go with that ex- have more experience, have a more experienced team that has come through this tough time at Vanderbilt and maybe make the NCAA tournament, add a few pieces, and it would just feel so full circle. And as a fan, obviously, it's so it's so tough to kind of not have that be the most likely outcome, although we would love it to be. I know I, I speak from at least most of the Vanderbilt um, fan base, but definitely wish him the best going forward because we we have figured that this is the most likely outcome for essentially the whole season. And another thing Scotty created, which we saw in the SEC tournament, is that Vanderbilt is able to compete up to their competition. And Vanderbilt was playing, I would argue, in one of the hardest conferences in college basketball. And maybe previously people didn't think of SEC as a college basketball powerhouse, but this year with Auburn and Arkansas and LSU and Alabama and Tennessee, they were they were one of the best years SEC has ever seen. And Vanderbilt said had a very presentable conference record, had a lot of road wins. And who knows if that happens if Scotty isn't... Scotty didn't play afraid in those games. Maybe we, we might be critical because he is the best player, but Vanderbilt, if, if he's not here next year, you can't be trying to replace Scotty. You can't replace a Scotty Pippen. It's very hard to, especially maybe someone that's a freshman or sophomore. That's that's not realistic. But maybe try to work around that. Work on Jordan Wright's strengths. Work around Miles Studi's strengths. And just see what happens. Because Vanderbilt's offense really has not done that. It's really been Pippen's offense the past three years. 
And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens once Pippen is not here at West End. Vanderbilt enters the offseason now. We'll be highly monitoring some transfer situations, both incoming and outgoing. You're bound to see some um, some transfers out of this program. And there are guys who didn't get a ton of playing time down the stretch. There are guys who haven't quite matched up to SEC competition that you, you have to imagine are potential candidates to leave. But we'll, we'll continue monitoring that, and it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple weeks. Vanderbilt women's basketball is still playing, and they will be in action tomorrow night, Thursday, against MTSU. And they've got a big opportunity to get some revenge because this team went up to Murfreesboro earlier in the year, and they lost uh, by nine points in a game that was probably one of their ugliest of the year, if I recall properly. And now they're a much different team. You want to say much better, but obviously Brene Alexander's not in the fold right now. But Andrew, you were there for the Liberty game. I mean, they just dominated Liberty in that round two of the WNIT. Yeah, I mean, Ayanna Moore was just a walking bucket from beyond the arc. And if she's going to do that again, especially in her hometown, then I I don't see much changing. I mean, average, well, both games, they've won by 26 points. It hasn't even, haven't even really been close. And this time... Jordan Cambridge didn't put up the same, you know, three-point numbers, but she still got her 15 points and and a couple other made threes from other people from others like uh, Damari Flornoy, Flornoy and Bella Lachance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does depend a lot on Ayanna Moore at this point. She is clearly their most um, potent offensive weapon, and considering what we saw at, against Liberty, I imagine. You'd, ha- you'd have to need a big performance from her if you're going to win this. Right, and for Cambridge to set the program's new single-season records in steals during the game against Liberty, um, really important for her. And I think uh, before, the NI- before the NIT and a-, a month and a half ago, I think most people thought it was out of reach. But just to see that Cambridge has continued to work at that and really she, she doesn't really chase those personal accolades. She really cares about the team's success as we've seen these past two games and we were talking off air how before the tournament we were saying should Vanderbilt even be in it? They had a losing record, but these games haven't even been close the past two games. It's just yeah. a sense of just um, command, and that that's why there's a lot of confidence going into this um, Sweet 16 game because Vanderbilt, if they play the way they have, uh, they're going to be one of the hardest teams to beat in this tournament because they're really not backing down, and, and they're similar to the basketball team. They've really had a an upward improvement really since that game against Alabama in the regular season of two months ago. Or, or sorry, I think that was Florida. They've really just, just improved. And credit to Ralph in her, in her first year to see Vanderbilt win their two, two postseason games for, for the first time since the 2019 NCAA tournament. So that's a really pivotal step in this program's direction. Last time up at Murfreesboro, uh, Vanderbilt shot just 15 of 49, 2 of 11 from 3. Ayanna Moore herself was 1 of 10. So you know she's going to want to be putting on a better show kind of in her hometown up there. MTSU is going to take a lot of threes. They took 35 in that game against Vanderbilt earlier this season, and they're coming off of a couple of nice wins over Wofford. They killed them, beat them by 30. And then they beat Wake Forest, an ACC opponent, by 12 uh, at home as well. So... This is no joke of an opponent. Um, they have high hopes as a kind of a, um, a middle-of-the-road program. They're going to be coming for this, and they're really going to want to advance as far as possible because it's just really important uh, for, for, for mid-tier programs. And Vanderbilt's coming in as well, looking to play more basketball. I mean, there's no signs of them stopping. 
Um, they will have a few extra days of rest as opposed to the men's squad here. And so I think it's justified to expect pretty big things uh, out of this game. Yeah, I mean, it'll really be about framing for uh, MTSU because it's so easy to fall into the trap of we've beaten them before. They're missing probably their best offensive weapon and a really crucial senior to the team. And they can't keep this going. Like, Iona Moore can't have that kind of game again. And it's really easy to fall into that. And then suddenly you look up at the scoreboard after the first quarter and you're losing by 10. So I definitely think uh, Vanderbilt needs to come out strong, um, start off like they started off uh, this last game. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I, it's They need to be able to find offense if Iona Moore has one of those kinds of games. I'll say that much. I don't know what the plan will be or would have been to get the team going, but I do think, I mean, I I, sh- I hope I see another performance like that, but I'm not sure we're going to see the same kind of performance just based on how tough know, that yeah, is. Yeah, how, how difficult that kind of performance is. Because um, Cambridge had a special performance, and now Ayanna Moore has. And so I guess you're wondering, are one of them, is it going to go back and forth? Is another one of them going to show up? But she just played 37 minutes, and we've been harping this whole time on how much Ayanna Moore and Jordan Cambridge have been playing. So when you're kind of on you know two days of rest, couple days of rest, and you've just had a crazy game, you, you, when you're tired, you come back down to earth a little bit. It's not something it's not a knock on uh the kind of player Ayanna Moore is she's gonna be a star but we will see what happens and we'll see what Shea Ralph has drawn up for them right and, and I think it'll be a great rematch I think we were mentioning it before November 15th they play against them lose 55 to 46 in Morphin's row it's hard to beat a team once it's even harder to beat a team twice so I think Vanderbilt they're going to be looking at that game really be analyzing and so, so are their opponents in Middle Tennessee State, but it's it's really going to be a, a lot about um, just adjusting and, and playing like they have in the NIT tournament. And I think if Vanderbilt plays the way they have the past two games, that they will give themselves the best possible chance at winning this ball game. They'll play at 6.30 tomorrow up in Murfreesboro, and uh, we'll have some thoughts after this one. We won't have anyone out there, but definitely looking forward to seeing how this one turns out. We also know that there's a baseball team on campus that has won now, what, uh, 17 straight games after beating Belmont yesterday? Yeah, yeah and that's that's, <laughs> the, that's the longest streak since 07, which was 20. Okay, wow. so they're chasing 20. I didn't know that. Wow. They're chasing 20. They'll be at uh, South Carolina this weekend, and then next weekend should be an awesome weekend on West End. The Tennessee Volunteers are coming to town, another top 25 SEC opponent, arch rival, and uh, we'll have you covered every day next weekend and next week, um, as I believe they play a midweek game as well here at home. And a lot of the freshmen have really made uh, a big a big splash so far. Carter Holton has been kind of their one or two guy uh, in the rotation, Chris McElvain being the other, but Devin Futrell and Bryce Cunningham have also been really useful for this team so far. And obviously Davis Diaz has torn it up so far as well. So a lot of baseball to talk about, but we want to wrap up basketball season, and that should be coming to a close relatively soon. But hopefully the Vanderbilt women's squad can keep it going this Thursday. We appreciate you listening. We hope you uh, are getting over this logo situation as we are doing our best to do as well, and we will uh, talk to you next week.